This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. We caught up with Devin uh, this Monday. It is, let's see, November 9th. Devin is now back in Oslo, and he has suffered through a six-hour chemistry lab and a week wax teching and coaching for Canada at World Juniors and U23 Worlds. We are going to discuss the women's and men's 30K and 50K Mass Start Classic races, respectively, that went down Saturday and Sunday in the famed Holmenkollen venue in Oslo. In addition, we're going to start off the episode chatting a little bit about the venue at World Juniors. You know, you keep on kind of re- referring it to, you know, the east side. Obviously, there's a difference maybe culturally a bit between the East and West Germany, but what would be some improvements that you would implement maybe at a venue like that? The venue was, was actually quite good. I mean, when we got there a couple of days before the event started, it was very minimal snow and a 2.5 kilometer course that was prepared, but it was dirty and stones, very, very marginal. And then all of a sudden it just started nuking snow. And then the weather, that's when I think of East Germany, I think of Oberhof. And now we're in Hall, where the weather is just—I know I live in Norway, so I'll get sure. But Jesus, the weather is just so crazy. I mean, all over the place, like pouring rain and then dumping snow and windy as hell and like just bleak, you know. So that's uh, the, you know, anytime I've been in Poland or or East Germany or Slovakia or places like that, like it just seems that the weather gets trapped in these places. These places, they're also where the snow is in these areas are definitely on the tops of these ridges. And of course, when it's flat all around and you have weather that comes in, it just it hits these little ridges and it just stays there. So uh, it would be the same here in Norway, of course. But uh, but no, the venue, they did a great job. The organizers did an amazing job. And the fact that they were able to pull together such amazing uh, loops, they were they got lucky with the, with that nasty weather actually, because uh, it came quite a bit of snow in in the span of eight, nine days. So, but it was that, and, and it just like the whole, when you're driving up through the Czech uh, Republic, uh, cause we, you kind of drive north, well, we came from Seyfeld. So you drive uh, north and then east, and then you kind of cut through the Czech Republic a little while. And like, I mean, some of those, some of those small towns as you're heading up to the, to Oberwiesen Hall on the Czech Republic side, uh, definitely. Definitely has that uh, old communist vibe with like blocky architecture and concrete buildings that are falling apart kind of thing. So that that's pretty scrappy. But where where we were actually staying was was great, and they did a great job. Okay, so you're back. At, well, how did your chemistry lab go? Oh, it was it was a grind. It was hard, like getting off the <laughs> getting off the plane. And I'm not gonna lie, like these World Junior events. I don't know if you talked to Fisher or, or uh, Pat that were at world juniors there. But I mean, like there's a race every day and the race is a world championship. I have no real control over people's equipment because uh, the athletes are young and you don't work with them day in, day out. And they, they don't have great control over what's in their ski bags and stuff. So it ends up being, and you're kind of a jack of all trades, you know, like I was testing a ton of skis, but it's actually working as a technician as well and a coach. And, and yeah, there's just a lot of moving parts, a lot of athletes and stuff. So man, I, feel, I was feeling pretty blasted. So it was a, it was a definitely like frying pan to the face, walking into to a chemistry lab that's six hours long and um, talking Norwegian again in in yeah chemical terms and stuff like that. But it, but it was, you know what, we survived and I was at school today again, and it's going to be a bit of a job for me to catch back up. But uh, that's okay. We'll we'll get there. Okay. 
All right. So you're in Oslo, the site of this past weekend's kind of, you know, the the kind of a monument of races, a 30K classic ski for the women and a 50K classic mass start ski for the guys. Uh, definitely some, some iffy weather. In particular, it looked to be a little bit worse on Sunday. And fans showed up even though there were no fans in the stadium. So let's, I am just kind of, let's start with the, uh, the kind of fan ban, if yeah. you will, and how that, what you heard on the street about how that played out. Yeah. Well, you know what, like the health authority here in Norway, were asking, asking people to, to stay away from home and colon and not come out and cheer. And I mean, most years there's upwards of, well, at the world championships, there was over a hundred thousand fans every day. And for a normal world cup, I mean, it's not that many, but you know, 50, 60,000 fans lining, lining the course is not unusual. Last year was a crazy scene there. And I feel like it's just getting bigger and bigger out in the woods, especially like the big parties and the drinking and the, like just pandemonium out there. And, you know, with this coronavirus outbreak and around the entire world, um, you know, it's not, they, it wasn't the fact that they didn't want fans outside cheering people on, but it, it, you have this pinch point at home and colon because you're at the top, you're on the top of the city. You're on the top of this big hill overlooking the city. And once the races are over, Everyone takes public transportation. Driving from home and colon is a nightmare on a good day. So fans don't drive up there. Everyone takes public transportation. We have a great like table and it's called like a subway or like a kind of C train or something like it's above ground and below ground uh, funneling people from the city center up to home and colon. And if you start doing the math and you have 50, 60,000 people using those, using those uh, trains to get up and down, it's crazy packed in those things. And, um, so the health authority was definitely like, that was the reason that were, that they didn't want to allow fans. Uh, that said, there was still some fans in Frogner Southern, but it was like, it was de it was defanged completely. Like if people thought that that was a good fan scene, then they haven't raced in home and colon enough because that, it was, uh, it was pretty chill. Um, that's the high point of the course, right? Yeah. Yeah. Frogner Southern. Yeah. Like on that corner, um, there's, yeah, there's usually like just crazy amounts of people camping and partying a lot of young people like partying hard there and of course there was some people that came out and partied and even some people camping out but i mean it was it was yeah like i said it was defang compared to a normal year at home and colon and and like you saw in the stadium itself you saw the bleachers because i mean they had paid and organized to have all those extra bleachers uh, set up and they were all empty so it's it was kind of a crazy scene to see i mean home and colon is like you said it's the the biggest race we have in cross-country skiing on the world cup calendar it's the most prestigious and um and we always expect like just pandemonium with fans and a great atmosphere and you know i i heard some people say that hadn't had a lot of experience with home and cold and that oh the atmosphere was like quite good but man they, they don't know what they're missing because <laughs> it ain't that usually yeah right right it's like mardi gras at a ski event it looks oh yeah like. no it's in it's insane usually and all around the whole course. And, and it wasn't that, uh, so, you know, the Norwegian government is trying to do their best to mitigate those issues. And everybody around the world is dealing with this, uh, situation in Europe, especially when, um, Northern Italy, there's a lot of Norwegian tourists that have had been to Northern Italy and Norwegians love skiing and Northern Italy has great skiing. Uh, so that that's been watched very closely and, um, you know, numbers of, of the, the coronavirus keep going up and up every day here in Norway and around Europe and, and in the U.S. as well, in pockets, Canada as well. So 
um, you know, the health authorities are definitely taking very strict measures. And it's, uh, you know, it seems like the world is learning from the SARS outbreak of 2003 that, um, you know, we have to take these kind of new viruses seriously. And they, maybe they let it, let it slip a little bit 17 years ago. So they're making up for that. But uh, it definitely changes the experience for cross-country events. And, and also, too, there's some big events that are coming here pretty quickly. Norwegian Birkebiner is happening on the 21st of March and uh, they haven't canceled it yet, but geez, I mean, they're going to have the same problem. I don't know if you've ever been to the Norwegian Birkebiner, but it starts in this little town called the- I, I've watched it from the trail side. Yeah, but it, so it starts in Reina, this tiny town, and no one lives there. So everyone's bust over there. So you're going to have the same issues. I wouldn't be surprised if that event gets uh, canceled. There, has some, there hasn't been anything announced yet, but uh, I, I'd be shocked. And then the World Cup finishing, um, you know, Canada and Minneapolis and stuff seems it's affected, like I said, but not, not like a place like India or sorry, India, sorry, not like a place like it's Northern Italy or Iran. So hopefully we can get the world cup season finished and no one gets sick and the athletes stay healthy. And there's a good atmosphere for the races in Quebec. Quebec has a great atmosphere normally. And Minneapolis, I mean, it's a long time coming, baby. <laughs> so, so I know there's a lot of Midwesterners, yeah, a lot right. of Midwesterners that are fired up for this thing. So I hope that they can pull it off without any hiccups. Yeah, me too. Um, okay. Before I get into the racing and thinking of a, a more lighthearted safety, I suppose you ever been on that? It's like the old Oslo Olympic bobsled track and you can rent the sleds. Oh yeah. The shittles. Oh yeah. Yeah. Have you ever done, you ever done that when it's kind of icy? Oh, Oh yeah, it's crazy. You actually start. It is ripping. nuts. Like those corners are banked, and you're like mocking. It's mock Schnell. It is. I did that with my kid maybe three or four years ago, and I seriously was like, that could be the most dangerous thing I've ever done, including like dangling off walls. <laughs> Not. Yeah, it was scary. Okay. Okay, Oslo. Let's start with the women's thirty k, which was animated by. Uh, I'm always bad with uh, ages. I think a twenty year old Frida Carlson who nailed that race. Um, yeah, let's break that down. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know how much I'm loving the women's field, uh, this year, there's a lot of action, different people at the top, not right at the top usually, but in the top 10, there's, there's a lot of different nations represented and represented. And then when Norway makes the immense mistake that they made by giving advice to their women athletes that no, you can just go on one pair of skis the whole way in a classic race. They paid for that dearly. I mean, Teresa still almost won. I mean, she had a lead. She built up a lead of a minute. And then that got eroded like crazy when the Swedes changed their skis. And that brave. I mean, everybody behind her uh, changed their skis. And you saw all the other Norwegians, all the other strong Norwegians, like um, Astrid Jakobsen and Heidi Wang. Uh, they just fell like an anchor down through the results list while, while the Swedes and um, a few other nations started just charging hard in the closing kilometers. And man, I was on the edge of my seat watching that race. I mean, Frida Carlson has been in a situation very much like Ingveld has been um, with her health and has, hasn't been able to start a lot of races. And uh, she was in a pretty precarious position and, and came storming back in the first year senior won the biggest race to be won in the world cup calendar and pip teresa yohug she lives teresa lives like not even i would say like a couple kilometers not even a kilometer and a half from that that stadium so that's definitely her home course and she was not too thrilled to, to lose that and uh, the only reason why she lost that was because of a tactical error and not changing her skis 
But uh, I'm not going to take anything away from Frida. You got to be good to be lucky, and it's not being lucky when you're making the right tactical decisions. And it was just a what a great victory for what a great victory for Frida. She was crazy excited at the finish line, as of course. But uh, she's 11 years younger than than Teresa, and uh, definitely showed up to play um, on Saturday. And I thought what's cool about that too is she had such a great World Championships in Seyfeld last year, taking three medals and. She's right back up in the hunt now, and now she has a World Cup victory to her name, too. So, wow, congratulations to her and the whole Swedish team. So, you know, from a tactical standpoint, I mean, I'm presuming that, you know, the Wax Techs are prepping skis in the event that an athlete might choose to switch. So the skis are sitting there in the exchange zone, and I, and I know that was the case for, for the guys because they all, I think at 30K, most of them switched. You'd assume like an, an athlete is sensing, okay, maybe my kick isn't optimal, maybe my speed is waning a little bit. Is it the fidelity to the to the recommendation? Like just you know, they said one pair of skis and stick with it. What's going on there? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the, the, the technicians, had, the Norwegian technicians, had been testing the whole time, and it was clean snow, which is rare for home and clones. Because, like I said, when you have like twenty five thousand drunk under thirties having giant fires and all over the track that, that usually it's just so dirty uh out there so so you know right away you go one lap through frogner center you feel your ski slow down and of course any chance you can to switch your skis you do because your grip wax or your clister just gets gunked up with a whole bunch of soot and yeah mud and whatever else that's out there in the back 40 there and uh with much less fans the technicians were really thinking that the snow is clean uh, it's a little colder than normal too. You know, sometimes it can be really sloppy and be plus 10. And then of course you have to, if you're skiing on red clister, that stuff picks up everything. So, you know, to, to switch your skis. So they were testing and they, the, the advice they were giving was the skis aren't slowing down. They're not getting that dirty. So you should probably should be fine for 30 K. And, um, that was not the case. <laughs> and, you know, the Swedes had some flipping comments uh, saying like, Oh, they should know better in a classic race. You should change your skis any chance you can. And, it's hard because like in one sense, I agree with the Swedes. <laughs> of course you want to switch your skis. If you have the opportunity purely because that, that grip zone is sticky and it picks up anything you ski over and that'll slow down your skis. Um, but uh, they were confident and that confidence was uh, misplaced. And that's why you had one Norwegian in the top 10. And that is rare for this season. And that is why you saw three Swedes in the top five and that was exciting too, though. I thought it was great. I thought it was amazing of, of Ebba Anderson. If you want to, let's talk about Ebba Anderson's week here. Second, second in Lottie, two under 23 world championship gold medals in the middle of the week, comes back to Holman Cole and she's only 20 seconds off the win and ends up third. So that is quite the little week of racing. That's like her little tour to ski after the ski tour. And Charlotte Cala, big step in the right direction, coming fourth, only 40 seconds back and fourth in a 30K classic as well. She's had a very hard season after saying that she had great training this whole summer and fall, and she's been lacking answers. She doesn't know why she's been able, she's been so far below her her normal level. But fourth at home and colon uh, for Teresa, uh, sorry for Charlotte Cala in a classic race. I mean that's that's a great race no matter what the season. So she's right back up at the top. Okay, here's a, a quick question I'd like you to reflect on yourself because you know she's gosh I don't have the stats in front of me. I think she's early thirty. Is she that? She's younger than that. 33. 
33. I mean, did you notice as you aged and you, you know, transitioned into your 30s that it was harder? I mean, you did mention it's like, oh, she was a bit confused. She had this great training cycle over the summer and into the fall, and it just wasn't manifesting with sensations on snow and results during race season. Um, is that something you noticed, oh. you know, as you progress in your career and harder and harder and harder to pinpoint, like, why? A to B doesn't necessarily lead from A to B. Oh, that's the most annoying part about cross-country skiing is, you know, from May to November, you don't actually get to practice your sport. You're doing all these other things that are fun. I'm glad I'm able to do it. I mean, it keeps, it, I think it keeps cross-country skiers for the most part a lot healthier than other endurance sports like cycling or running uh, because you, you can use a lot of variety in your training, but uh, it leaves you with a lot of questions. You know, you think you're in good shape because your running tests are better or your roller ski time trials are or roller ski treadmill tests are better, but you know what? We don't compete on roller skis and we sure as heck don't compete with running shoes in the winter. So till you're on snow, it's just so hard to know. And I think um, what gets so frustrating is when you're a bit older and you're used to having so much success like Charlotte has been. I mean, she's a total legend and one of the best ever uh, female cross-country skiers in the history of our sport. And, and when you fall from your top level so far, like Charlotte has this year, uh, it really weighs on your confidence. And then you just, you, you get into this thing where you just start asking questions like, is it this, is it that, is it this? And that takes so much energy and it becomes a self-fulfilling death spiral. It, it, instead of just like being like, well, this is where I am and, and accept it. Um, type A personalities like Charlotte, <laughs> for sure, just start asking all these questions in the middle of the season, like trying to, trying to find out what happened and what went wrong and what can I do to, to turn things around, but you have races coming every single week and all that energy you're using between races, stressing out about what, what happened that to have the train fall off the tracks uh, just makes for every weekend having less and less and less energy throughout the year and the results get worse and worse or they just stabilize in a fairly bad place like they have been for Charlotte till this week. So, <laughs> so uh, I hope that this is the confidence she needed to finish the season strong and uh, you know, there's been some articles talking about that maybe Charlotte will call it a career, but I, I'd love to see her in Oberstdorf. Uh, it's this course that suits her super well. And and then once you're in Oberstdorf, you're only one year out from the Olympic Games. And she's shown that at the Olympic Games, uh, Charlotte Kala gets herself in quite good shape. That's an understatement. Some of the best performance I've ever seen uh, from a female athlete have been some of Charlotte's uh, races at the Olympics that we were at together. So uh, I wish her the best, but for sure, this has been a super challenging season and great to see her in the top five again. Okay. Uh, guys race 50 K, um, Bolshinov, uh, persevered, took that pipped Kruger at the line, who now is officially a stout classic skier, but going, I'm just curious, like historically, and I, uh, tell me if I'm wrong here that like the Russians tend to kind of push that envelope about not swapping skis. Um, any truth to that? Oh, I don't know. I think the Russians could be accused of just having bad tactics generally <laughs> through the ages. And, uh, uh, but they had definitely turned that around this year. They have, they have been skiing smarter and, um, not just with, uh, decisions, uh, with equipment, like changing their skis in the classic day, but also, also just like where they're sitting in the pack and, and how they're, how they're solving these, these mass start races, especially. So they have had a, big change with how they race and uh Bolshinov I think he could have won that that race with pretty much anything on his feet he won it last year so he's won two Holman Colmans in a row 
he out sprinted Kruger. And like you said, Kruger outside of this year, hadn't been known as a very strong classic skier, like solid on his best days. He could be top 10 in a classic race once in a while, but that's it uh, to this year. He's really, really established himself as a, someone to watch in, in all disciplines, uh, at least in the distance skiing side of things. So to see Kruger at uh, second place in, in a classic 50 K is something that I probably never would have pegged prior to this season. And Emily Everson, even he was, he was third. I mean, uh, it's after the disaster that began for him in the, uh, at the tour to ski, uh, I, it's pretty exciting to see him back in the, on the podium and especially in the 50 K classic, which in a course like Holman Coleman, which is very, very punishing. I mean, it really favors athletes that have a very high capacity and um, not that he, not that Emil doesn't have a good capacity, but uh, he's a bigger guy and he, his form has been quite up and down. So this will be a huge boost of confidence for Emil as well as the season finishes. Um, okay. Any, any other sort of insights from that guy's race beyond you know, I mean, it's it stuck together for a while. It winnowed down to maybe 20 skiers, then the 13 skiers, and then a select group. And then Kruger made his move maybe a little less than a K out. Um, and obviously was smart about that because Bolshinov, you know, can close that. Um, any other insights or just simply like a straight up burly fitness test from Bolshinov. Oh, I mean, I think Bolshinov just skied that race to perfection and uh, he was not going to be denied. He had good skis. Uh, he was always in the right position. And uh, when Kruger made his move, Bolshinov was probably just licking his lips because, I mean, he's going to crush Kruger uh, in the sprint finish in classic. Uh, that's for sure. So, I mean, the, the writing was on the wall when Bolshinov was able to go with Kruger uh, and that solidified the win for the, for the rush. And the only other thing I'll say again is, I mean, I'm the broken record, but in the top 20, uh, you had three other nations, three people. You had Berman. But we should all give a, a round of applause for the Swedes back in the top 10. Thank God. I mean, Jens Berman's a, gr- Jens Berman's a great skier, and he's had some tough weeks, uh, and that's hurting the Swedish program because, like I've said over and over, the men's program in distance skiing in Sweden has been eroded to nothing. Uh, so nice to see Sweden back in the top 10. But other than Berman in eighth, uh, Dario in sixth. That's a great classic race for Dario too, with all his struggles that he's been having in classic. Uh, but then Niskanen down in 16th. But in the top 20, other than Colonia, who's one of the greatest skiers of our generation, Niskanen, who is arguably the best or second best classic skier uh, in this current generation, and then Jens Berman, who other than this year has been a stalwart in the top 15, I'd say. All other finishers are Norwegian or Russian. So what was so exciting about World Juniors, and we talked about that in the other podcast, uh, or the, uh, when I was in Germany, was that you had, uh, yeah, the Americans win the, the World Junior Relay, the Canadians are second, Italy's third, but also like when you look through the results list, I mean, you, in the junior women's side of things, you had a Latvian in fourth one day and a lot of different nations competing. Germany is back being strong uh, in the men's field and in the women's field and a lot more diversity, but when it comes to the big show, when it comes to the big leagues, you still have an, a two country race and you have guys and nothing against them. Avdal is a, um, he's a great skier. Um, he's on a training center in, in Lillehammer, uh, but he's fourth. So you have a guy that's in the national group coming forth. 
And then if you look down the list, you have like Sindra Scar, um, uh, who is a friend of mine, a great sprinter, but he's finishing 11th in a 50K classic. Uh, he beats Sunby and Paul Goldberg, for example. Daniel Stock, who is known for, for being a great 15K skater. Uh, he's been top five on the World Cup in that event, but he's in the top 20 in a 50K classic. Uh, so this, is, uh, this isn't good. I mean, people, uh, yeah. I've been saying it a lot, and if, if it was so easy, of course we'd have more diversity in the top in the top ranks. But uh, as of right now, there's two countries that are head shoulders, not just head and shoulders. They're like on the top of the Empire State Building, while everyone else is on the first floor. I mean, they are far and away better than everyone else. And uh, you know, I, it's just sad for me to see it. I mean, I'd like I'd like the other countries to be able to step up and compete. And and uh, but as it stands right now, it's we saw it in Cusimo and, and we're seeing it all through the season. It's a uh, two country race. This is, this is just a side anecdote and it kind of made me chuckle a little bit this morning. Uh, and he's talking to his dad. And I'm just eavesdropping. He's like, okay, so dad, the two top best world cup countries on the guy's side are Norway and Italy. And I didn't, you know, I'm just like listening. I'm not going to like jump down the kid's throat at all. And he was going on and his logic was talking about Pellegrino. And it was just interesting to me to think, oh yeah, maybe he's scrolling through Instagram and he wouldn't follow the Russian team and he's following, you know, Pellegrino is kind of a flashy dude. Um, It just sort of made me think like fans of the sport, if they're not like scrolling through results, maybe they're not even aware of how one-sided it might actually be. Yeah, I know. That is funny. No, but it is true. I mean, who follows Bolshinov on Instagram? No one can read Russian. I mean, you have that like letter that's like a pizza hut or like the backwards three. And <laughs> it's hard to just, it's hard to decipher what, uh, what Bolshinov's saying, but, uh, no, that is funny. But I mean, Italy has been nowhere. Sorry, dude. I mean, they're great in the sprints, but in, but in the distance, in the distance side of things, I mean, Italy has fallen off a cliff. So it's, uh, no, it is, it is super interesting. And I, I'm just not sure what the solution is, but, um, you know, the only solution is sometimes the simplest solution is the the most elegant. And that's just, you got to train harder and you got to be smarter and ski better technically. And if you combine all those things into a blender, press start, hopefully what comes out is, uh, athletes that can compete at the world level. So that's, and this will be for a different podcast, but I'll throw this seat out there for, and I know people are interested because I've been asked is, you know, what's the look now? I mean, you obviously have these U-20s for the U.S., these guys that are top international caliber skiers at the junior level. They bump up to U-23 next year, and I'm sure they'll get plenty of World Cup starts moving forward. Um, Canada had a had a very respectable um, World Juniors. But, you know... It is it is touchy, right? Because people are people, and it's not so easy to develop an athlete. Yeah, and just kind of get you thinking about like what does it look like moving forward? Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, I mean, I think I think like some of the advice I gave the juniors uh, and and the staff that were on the trip. I mean, you got to be pumped because these these are historic results, and people are racing at an extremely high level. I mean, Remy's results from the men's side have only been trumped by Alex Harvey at World Juniors. And look how our Alex progressed through his career, but uh, but at the but on the other side of the coin, you have to you have to remember like Alex is a total freak, and and Remy is also like an incredible talent, no question. But um, you know, 
So Alex Harvey grew up and lived his, his whole career in Mont Saint-Anne within skiing distance from some of the best skiing in the entire world. And Remy lives in downtown Boston. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how that progresses through the international ranks. But what I tried to say is you got to stay humble and you got to stay hungry. And just because you're winning at the world junior level or just because you're fighting at the top at the world junior level, you have to remember that really that's a one or two age group, right? You're competing against maybe two years and people develop at different rates. And, and also there's a minefield of junior greats that, that just could not convert on the senior level as there is on the other side of the coin. People like um, Astrid or Teresa or Alex or, you know, there's a lot of names that, that, that I mean, they crush world juniors and they Teichman way back in the day was great at world juniors and was a great senior athlete as well. So you have both sides, but um, you know, from the American standpoint, like Gus is just, a, I mean, he's world junior champion individually. What more can you say? He's the best junior in the world. Um, but you know, just because you won races at juniors doesn't mean you're just going to step into the first year and be top five in the in a senior race. Um, you know, Gus may be able to do that, but uh, he has other challenge, uh, other other things happening in his life. So, as long as you, you you're hungry and you're humble and and you have some perspective and you um, look at the long game and and not take don't take things for granted. Don't look at it be like just because it worked in junior doesn't mean this is going to work as a senior. Do you know what I mean? And if maybe it won't like if it works, is it going to work over time? Are you going to be able to have repeatable results like Alex had throughout his whole career? I mean, this is uh, that's what separates uh, solid skiers from, you know, at least from Canadian standards, a legendary skier. So, I mean, it'll be very interesting to, to follow along. I mean, uh, we should get excited. We should party. We should celebrate these results. And, and these have been so historic and we have we have athletes now that have proven that they can compete at the highest levels internationally, and now it's up to the athletes themselves. And um, it's always it's always up to the athletes themselves, but also the programs that they're involved in to to uh, not let their heads get too big and uh, keep their eye on the ball and and keep moving that ball forward through the development curve. And I'm excited to see, like I, like we talked about the last time we chatted. I mean, man, it would be awesome to see the American men. Uh, have a couple American men in the top 10 uh, fairly consistently in the distance side of things in the next couple of years, because they definitely have the swagger and the heart and, and the talent to do that. And uh, whether it happens right out of the gun as a first year senior, or if it's going to take a couple of years um, as long. And I, I have full trust in the development system in the U S that uh, they're doing everything they can to, to promote that, uh, that, that level of excitement and, so it'll be fun to see, but it's going to be, it's, it's by no means a gimme. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Like it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of athletes that you would not, not know their names. I could, I could list off like 20 that you wouldn't know their names and they have world junior medals or they're world junior champions and they had no senior career. Last question is, I mean, I feel like we're at a time now where, you know, we have a 20 year old and Frieda Carlson winning the 30 K home and colon, right? We have Ebba Anderson, doing well. We have Lynn Svon who, you know, I think she's young, 22, maybe, uh, I 20. she's 20. She's a first year senior 20. as well. Okay. Lynn Svon, super young. We have Claybo. we have Bolshinov, right? I mean, it's like names of the sport at the sharp end who are quite young. And I mean, historically you've always heard like, okay, um, let, 
let the athletes mature slowly. And, and I'm speaking more like North America. Let them let them mature a little bit more slowly, kind of stew in the juices of the World Cup and evolve organically. You think there's any like a different paradigm now, or is that strictly just a function of like Sweden, Norway, maybe Russia here and there, because they just have so many skiers that can like fill infill the pipeline? It's hard to know. I mean, I agree with you. You you saw athletes now, especially especially in this generation, the the names you all mentioned are incredibly young, historically young, to be winning uh, so like prophetically like they're just like crushing people week in week out and they're very young athletes and um you know i think it is I, in some ways i do think it is a paradigm shift i think people like bolshinov or, or klebo were very professional at a younger age um yeah alex talks about that all the time you know like people are like oh you're stopping when you're young and he's like i'm stopping when i'm young like i was fully professional when i was like 16 17 years old and giving everything to this and I was definitely not that, you know, when I was 17. So absolutely things have progressed, progressed uh, quite fast in only one generation. Right. So, uh, but I still believe, I still believe that you can mature into a great athlete on the world cup. Uh, but you know, the results don't lie. And it's, uh, right now it, the, the younger athletes are at the top end of the sport for the, first time for both men and women and sprint and distance uh, for the first time in that I can remember. And I don't just mean one or two, you know, Bjorn Dolly was good as a young senior as well. And, uh, but you can't just use like the one-offs you, because like you said, it is a trend. Now you have uh Bolshinov, Klebel, um, plus uh, yeah, Lynn Svahn and, and Frida Carlson, Ed Anderson. And these are, these are the best gears in the world and they're, they're 23 or, or younger, so or 24 or younger. And uh, that's, that's definitely a shift. And, you know, it, you have to adjust to that. Absolutely. Because that, that they've shown that it is possible. And I, I don't expect that uh, Russia is going to have less young athletes coming up and being good or Norway uh, have less super talents that are young, that are able to convert into the senior level. But, you know, we had that too, Alex Harvey in the 50 K in Trondheim in 2009, uh, that was the year that they moved to home and Coleman to Trondheim because they were doing some renovations in home and Coleman ahead of the world championships. And, and Alex is a first year senior was third in a world cup. So, I mean, Canada has been able to do it as well, but, um, it's, it's definitely a tall order. Okay. Um, on to North America and Quebec. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I look forward to Quebec. And like I said, we can all just cross our fingers for the organizers there and all the fans that are looking forward to cheering everybody on. Uh, that we can get these events off the ground and but you know what <laughs> it doesn't really matter as long as you can get them off the ground safely that's the most important so uh, I wish the best to all the athletes competing there and oh I wish I could have been there because it's always a it's always a fun venue to be around all right have a good one thanks Devin thanks cheers bye thanks for listening